The second hour of the Ocelli Effect begins now. And of course, if you're at Ocelli.com, great to have you along. But most of you are catching this further on down the stream and uh, definitely getting the podcast. So I do appreciate every last one of you, no matter how you came to the broadcast. So that was a great discussion with Dr. Rock. And I got to say, it goes into an odd, odd place. But uh, my guest this hour, well, <laughs> maybe we'll go into some other odd places. But I'm uh, extremely happy to have James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. Of course, if you never heard of that, I don't know how you got to my show. Uh, I have no idea why you're on the Internet. If you're looking for information at all, I'm not sure exactly who tied your shoes. Hopefully it was a good job. Uh, but if you don't know who James Corbett is, what can I tell you except you better figure it out quick. CorbettReport.com. His recent work, by the way, would be uh, an excellent starting point for a couple of things that we might or might not discuss, because as per usual, nothing is scripted. Uh, And I do want to get into two of the big titles. Let's just read the titles directly, if I can pull them up fast, you know, trying to do this because I wasn't thinking about it to begin with. But let's see. How do I wake up my friends and family? That's a great title. That one I know off the top of my head. But also, I can't find the title now in my bookmarks, but... Uh, a little exploration about Margaret Sanger and, hey, you know what? We might want to talk about how education and conditioning and normalization works in our society given the current situation. And for all of that, and who knows what else, James Corbett, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, but I just realized my mic isn't plugged in properly, so why don't I give you some better sound? Just hold on a second. <laughs> nice. <laughs> See, live show. You never know where it's going to go. Actually, it's funny. Mike Swanson had that problem on uh, on, on Tuesday, and it was, it was very weird. He kind of went in and out on the proper mic he was on. And uh, funny, I, 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 I never expect that from you. Are, are you still using the, uh, the Shure SM57 or 58? Uh, that you no, use. I haven't used that in about 10 years. No, I'm using an AT2020 USB, and I just plugged it in, so it should be fine. Oh, nice. I had it unplugged. That was the problem. <laughs> well, you know, it, it does not always work when it's unplugged. I mean, some things work when they're unplugged, but a lot of these microphones, not necessarily. Anyway, uh, so how are you, sir, <laughs> over there in the uh, uh, interesting place that is Japan? Uh, and, and, and quite frankly, I, I envy you not being here in the Western alleged civilization at this point, because um, it's getting weird here. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm doing a lot better than a lot of people around the planet, because as uh, I believe we talked about last time, Japan has not responded quite in the crazy way that's happening elsewhere around the world, like in Melbourne right now, where they've just gone into their stage four lockdown. How dare you try to step outside your house without government permission? Mm. Uh, We haven't reached that levels of crazy here in Japan at any rate. So I'm doing better than a lot of people, but obviously this is not a pleasant situation for anyone. Well, that's the thing. It is a, a, a worldwide event and the strangeness may vary based on your location. Um, you know, here in the United States, what are we doing? We're arguing over masks. Should we shut down again? Uh, are we supposed to use the metric of death, death rates versus, uh, you know, versus cases? Is, is it because of the great testing? Is it, uh, you know, should we listen to Dr. Fauci? Should we listen to, uh, you know, how about a little bit of observation, common sense, you know, stuff like that would help maybe. And again, nobody seems to be able to get their facts straight. And this is my contention from, you know, day one about all that. Um, 
back to this thing about Margaret Sanger. Uh, maybe you could give us a little a little hint about that in case people haven't seen that post from you. Uh, and, and we could talk about how things get normalized, pushed into the society. Now, seems as though it was more of an Asian um, characteristic to have masks on in public for the past few years until recently. And this is a huge issue here in the United States. You can be demonized for not wearing it. You can be told that you're a slave because you put one on. And I think people are missing the point of what is actually the point, James. But your thoughts, and and also tell us about that Margaret Sanger piece you did. Well, yes, you are right that in Japan, obviously, mask wearing is much more normalized and very common routine. I've been here 16 years, so it's uh, very much a part of my daily experience and daily reality over here. There's hardly a day that I've lived here that I haven't seen someone in a mask somewhere. So that isn't really a huge issue here politically or otherwise. But I understand it is in the U.S. and Canada and England and a lot of other places. And that's why I see the entire mask debate not as a particularly important debate in and of itself. I don't think anyone's going to there, – there are very few instances of people who are going to die from wearing a mask. I can say this because I live in Japan where people wear masks all the time. However, it is a compliance test and what is worrying to me about that is that it is the thin edge of the wedge of the medical martial law that we see coming into view in the new biosecurity paradigm and it is leading up to, if not outright mandatory vaccines, although that is, I think, the long-term agenda, at any rate, it is softening the public up for the introduction of the, well, you have to have a vaccine in order to travel and whatever else. And don't worry, we're giving the vaccine manufacturers like AstraZeneca complete legal liability for any damages that result from these vaccines. But don't worry, we're testing them kind of in a rushed way at Operation Warp Speed. So you can definitely put this in your arm. Anyway, that's the Japan side of it. To change gears completely, (laughs) for people who might not have seen, Planned Parenthood of Greater New York is removing the name of Margaret Sanger from uh, one of its buildings and uh, also petitioning to get her name removed from the particular street on uh, Manhattan where they have their offices. And that's surprising. Um, People might not understand what's going on there if they don't follow outlets like the Corbett Report, because if you do, then you will have seen several years ago, I had a piece on Planned Parenthood Exposed talking about Margaret Sanger and her racist eugenicist beliefs that are amply documented in many, many, many things she wrote over the years in many different places, in many different contexts. But as I was noting in that episode that I did several years ago, uh, most there were there were a lot of people who were saying that uh, uh, that were basically defending her outright rampant racist eugenical urges and the things that she was outright writing about, um, like Time magazine and many others have written these types of defenses. Oh, yes, she said these horrible things, but she was really just trying to appeal to the racist eugenicists of her time and blah, 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 basically defending her. Well, Uh, In the current political climate, that is no longer acceptable. So Planned Parenthood of Greater New York is taking the token step of removing her name from the building at the very least, which is at least a step in the right direction. But it is really revealing, especially because when you look at these fact checker sites that in the past have attempted to refute the very types of things that I was pointing out several years ago. Well, when you go and read her letter here or you go and read this passage over there, you see she was outright advocating racist eugenicist uh, ideas. Uh, Well, fact checking sites like Snopes will rate that false. That's not true. 
Mm. Look at this. Uh, she's uh, she's pure as the driven snow. And it, I found it particularly ironic that Snopes actually published word for word, just republished the AP News story talking about Planned Parenthood re- distancing themselves from Margaret Sanger. Are they going to go back and retroactively take back any of the times that they have defended her racist eugenicist beliefs in the past? You better believe they won't. They won't even put a correction or an update or anything. They're just going to leave them up there so that simultaneously crazy conspiracy theorists like myself who pointed to Margaret Sanger's own words in the past and, and pointed out how they were despicable views were wrong at that time. And we're still wrong even today, even as it's proven that that is in fact the case. Don't question it. Don't think about it. Double think, whatever, just go along with whatever the script is at any given moment. So I thought that was revealing for a number of different reasons. And especially for people who don't know what Margaret Sanger actually said, wrote, believed, advocated Mm -hmm. openly over and over in her works. But you can go and read the words for yourself. Do not take my word for it. So I hope people will check out that that work that I've done. See, and this is uh, almost like a secondary pastime here in this country, the way I see it, scrubbing the eugenicist agenda away from many figures, many actions, many things, not just Planned Parenthood, but there there is a, a eugenicist connection to a lot of stuff. I mean, I've even argued on this show and gotten a lot of crap for it, that um, <clears throat> quite frankly, the legendary level of eugenicist ideas that, uh, you know, everybody wants to immediately jump to and say, well, that was part of, you know, Adolf Hitler's Germany. Um, they originated here. <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't originate in, in Germany the way I see it. I mean, yes, I'm aware of the, you know, the, the priest class that was over there that pushed some of that agenda. But I'm telling you now, if you take a look at the dates of publication on a lot of the ideas that were swirling throughout the eugenicist movement in this country, guess what? They predate uh, Adolf Hitler being anything. They predate well, the Third Reich. In fact, there's there's actual historical precedent for this, and I did go uh, over that in my uh, Big Oil documentary, especially, especially Why Big Oil Conquered the World, where mm-hmm. literally the sterilization laws that were put into place in Nazi Germany were based on the model – uh, uh, sterilization laws that were drawn up by Harry Laughlin and the American eugenicists right. and propounded by the Birth Control Review, which was the periodical that was helmed by Margaret Sanger and was published by the uh, Birth Control League, which became Planned Parenthood. Right. Uh, these are not coincidental relation. No, they, they're direct relations. In fact, I uh, in my most recent video on Sanger, I, I link to a 1933 edition of the Birth Control Review, which eventually uh, obtained some quasi-independence from the Birth Control League. But at any rate, in 1933, they had an entire special on eugenics sterilization, and they were publishing Harry Laughlin and people like Dr. Ernst Rudin, mm-hmm. who people might know was literally the, the, the person advocating and, and bringing about the eugenics sterilization sterilization laws in Nazi Germany. These are direct relations. So yes, you're exactly right. It was, uh, eugenics really started in England in the late 19th century. It was transplanted to America by Laughlin and people like that, uh, people at uh, the the Cold Spring Harbors uh, Institute and and places like that, uh, funded into existence by the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, some of these other robber barons, and transplanted over to Nazi Germany. And it was only in the wake of World War II when people saw the horror of Nazi Germany and said, hey, maybe we don't want to be associated with this, that on the record, the American Eugenics Society and others on the record, openly in their own documents, talked about, well, we need to 
uh, begin a process of crypto eugenics. You, of course, we want to promote this great idea. It's just we can't use the name eugenics anymore. And that's literally when they started to change the name of the American Eugenics Society and the uh, Eugenics uh, Quarterly and all of these publications and institutions literally just changed their name. Now it was social biology or biodemography or these other types of uh, coded words that people don't know. And of course, the prime example of that was the Population Council set up by John D. Rockefeller III uh, that was literally the American Eugenics Society in all but name and all of the main board members and all of the main uh, – in fact, it even operated in the same offices of the American Eugenics Society for a, a period of time. So they literally just changed the name on the door and it continues to this day. Uh, but people at least – to the extent that they've even heard of it, and it's shocking how few people have even heard about eugenics, but to the extent that they've heard about it, at least that name has now been dragged through the mud. But it's still continuing, of course. That that founding ideology of the would-be ruling class is still there. Right, and that great documentary, I don't even know if it's still available on YouTube, because good luck trying to find it in search results, but it's still up on BitChute, I believe, right? It is on BitChute, and it's on my site. Uh, the best place is just corporatereport.com slash bigoil, and then you can find it, and you can find out how to download it, complete transcript, audio, video, whatever you need. Oh, yeah, no, it's and, and uh, I, I recommended it years ago when you put it out. It was some. It was a few years back, I think, and uh, uh, definitely still recommend it today, and I, I forgot that that was actually in that documentary, but once you said it, I recalled, yes, that's right, he talked about it there, and it has to do with the fact that uh, there may have been other agendas on the minds of some of the great American industrialists, you know, when, when we take a look at, at not only the business aspects of it that were really connected directly to the rise of the Third Reich, um, you, you also have to understand that there was a philosophical relationship here. And that, that, that was my point about it. But anyway, you make it, uh, uh, so much more, uh, eloquently than I do. So I appreciate it. But, um, again, these things link to today. And I'll tell you why. Um, when you consider that some of these organizations were secreted into other organizations one way or another, and these philosophies did not die, uh, they are very much hidden within a lot of these places that I believe have become, and I'm not, you know, I don't have absolute evidence for what I'm about to say here. But I believe that this kind of stuff still permeates the medical establishment, the people that, you know, believe that uh, they have a handle on disease control, maybe the vaccination councils and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if somebody really examines where a lot of these programs were also pushed. I mean, you want to talk about Rockefellers, they, that wasn't the only thing they did as far as, you know, ma making sure that there was universally available pharmaceuticals for people too. Um, <clears throat> wonder if that's going to come into play here because of the uh, Operation Warp Speed, which you, you know, just sub-referenced during what you were saying. Man, we, we have a dangerous situation here, and what has happened, as far as I'm concerned, is that there has been a conditioning of the general public to accept, to acquiesce. And like you said, the mask in and of itself is not the issue, but compliance is. And I think compliance across the board, the fact that the groundwork is being laid out now, that you are an awful, murderous human being. If you are resistant or even questioning wearing the mask, you will obviously be an awful, murderous human being if you don't accept the vaccination because you're putting everybody else in danger. 
I mean, this is all the table's being set and they just have yet to finish cooking up the vaccine and they're going to serve it. So, you hmm. know, th- this is yeah. where we're going, James. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't know how much more bluntly to put it. What are your thoughts? No, you're right. And and here's one of the uh, important things that's being that's happening right now that you just gestured to there, which is that uh, the the entire health paradigm has been flipped on its head. And this is an such an important point that was made um, with eloquence by Giorgio Agamben in an uh, article on the biosecurity paradigm that I keep citing because I think it was so eloquent and so succinctly put. But he said we have entered into the new biosecurity paradigm where. Uh, in the old paradigm, you have the right to health. You have the right to g- protect your health or to consult with the physician and get medicine for what you want. But in the biosecurity paradigm, you are juridically obliged to health, mm-hmm. i.e. whatever the medical authorities say is uh, you have to do this in order to protect everyone around you, then you have to do it. And if you do not, you are a bad citizen and a thought criminal who will eventually, uh, once the right legislation is, has been put in place, will become an actual criminal for uh, for your actions. And that's the real danger of this paradigm that we're moving into. And I want to uh, actually bring this conversation to the documentable part of that continuity of agenda that we just talked about with eugenics moving into this uh, COVID-1984 situation. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, I would highly suggest people take a look at an article that I wrote recently on From Bioethics to Eugenics, which talks about the field of bioethics, which is, uh, uh, to the extent that anyone even really even knows about it, they they might have heard there's this sort of branch of sort of medical philosophy, as it were, that's uh, really taken off in the past few decades, uh, where essentially philosophers debate about things about like memory enhancing drugs and the ethics of using them or uh, erasing memories altogether or some of these kind of crazy sci-fi scenarios of uh, future medical technologies that maybe aren't so so much out there in the future anymore Um, but they also talk about things like the case for killing granny which you might have read about in time magazine just uh, a a decade ago or so Mm -hmm. um, where they were literally talking about why it might be better to let granny die than to spend money on her medical care when she's old and frail and we, we could send that spend that money on the education system or what have you that that kind of um, debate is something that the bioethics have been talking about or afterbirth abortions well if we can abort a, a unborn baby in the womb then why not once they within the first few weeks of life I mean they're essentially the same thing so why not and that's literally the slippery slope argument that um, that pro-life people have had for a long time I mean you know it would be like killing a newborn baby well actually bioethics bioethicists have been writing papers Papers on this for for at least a decade now, talking about afterbirth abortions, and and this isn't so theoretical. Um, there are particular opponents of these ideas, like Ezekiel Emanuel, who mm-hmm. I, I hope that name rings a bell because it sounds a lot like Rahm Emanuel, who was uh, Obama's chief of staff, went on to become the mayor of Chicago. He was the one in the wake of the financial crisis who said, never let a good crisis go to waste, mm-hmm. um, by which I mean you can do things during a crisis scenario that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Well, that name sounds familiar because, yes, that is Rahm Emanuel's brother, Ezekiel Emanuel, who is a fellow of something called the Hastings Center which really deserves a lot more scrutiny. Uh, It was literally started by a card-carrying member of the American Eugenic Society, in fact, a director of the American Eugenic Society back in the 1960s, 1970s, uh, funded, surprise, surprise, by the Rockefellers um, to normalize certain uh, ideas about uh, eugenics and sterilization, euthanization, these types of things, bringing them into the public debate. And now you have Ezekiel Emanuel, a Hastings Center fellow, who is writing 
articles in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, not only has he been on record to advocate such things as literal death panels, where uh, he said that the the way to solve American healthcare problems and the the problem of the medical system in America is to create an independent non non political board that will decide on healthcare for each and individual person, and that that decision that is made by that board of experts will not be. Uh, not be subject to political debate and also not subject to any sort of debate by the person that they are talking about. I mean, it's a literal death panel. We will decide what medical care you can and cannot receive. And he thinks that's the way to solve uh, the problems. Um, more worryingly, he has written recently, or, or he was the chief author of an article that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, Fair Allocation of Scarce Medical Resources in the Time of COVID-19, literally talking about how best to ration these exceptionally important you know, medicines and life-saving interventions like the ventilators. Remember when ventilators, we need 40,000 ventilators. That's going to be the thing that saves us. Oh, right. wait, the ventilators are killing the patients. Oops. Sorry, we got that a little wrong. But anyway, during this crisis about, oh, how will we save all these people dying of this COVID-19, uh, 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 Ezekiel Emanuel and his co-authors started writing uh, about how we need to ration healthcare and how are you going to do that? Well, you, you need to make a calculation, a utilitarian calculation. Such and such person has so many years of productive life left ahead of them and this is this granny doesn't have that many years so obviously you want to give the the attention to the younger person this type of rationing of healthcare, which is being normalized uh, in the pages of the New England Journal of Medicine, which is important because I actually recently talked to a uh, reporter, Rosemary Frey, about an article she wrote about how people in the Ontario uh, healthcare system were essentially being consigned to death um, in the uh, in the elderly care home situation in there, where she, ta- she mentioned that the Canadian Medical Association, and she provided the link, which I had to read for myself because it's absolutely crazy, the Canadian Medical Association mm-hmm. came out recently with some emergency directives about how to uh, how to respond to this COVID-19 crisis where they they said you know normally we wouldn't make changes in our guidelines and changes in how to how to go about medical care without consultation and you know a board would look into it and a panel would debate it and there'd be recommendations and we'd implement those recommendations but we don't have time for that so here's an article from the New England Journal of Medicine we're just going to that that is now the way that the Canadian Medical Association will operate and it's this is literally the type of system that we are in because never let a good crisis go to waste. We're in a crisis situation, so we need to be making decisions quickly. Let's just go with whatever the bioethicists are telling us to do. Oh, here's a Hastings Center fellow. Uh, he must know what he's talking about. Let's let's make that the law of the land. So there's a direct connection between literal eugenicists, literal card-carrying eugenicists that are founding these organizations that create these these uh, people like Ezekiel Emanuel and others who are now essentially becoming the de facto rulers of the medical system uh, by virtue of the fact that they're the ones out there writing these uh, opinions that then become law. Mm. It is a crazy system. And, and when you connect those threads, you see there is a genuine direct connection between eugenics and what is happening right now in this rationing of healthcare that uh, we're being introduced to as part of the eugenical trend towards biosecurity. Mm. Now, I want to seize upon something you said about criminality earlier, because you will be made into a criminal if you don't acquiesce, if you don't comply. Your lack of cohesion with everybody else's behavior, accepting the vaccine, accepting the mask, whatever. Um, You know, I think it goes beyond that. I, I, I could live with the idea that I'm maybe breaking a law, but here's the really unlivable 
political aspect of it that I think people are not taking into account. And that is as we see travel restrictions coming into play regionally and by state in the United States already... Um, one can imagine the following, that not only would your ability to travel be restricted if you do not comply, but you would be completely depersoned because your ability to rent, your ability to have a job, your ability to get access to things like bank accounts, which I don't have anymore, but even so... Your choices for participating in any aspect of the system might be completely eliminated if you do not comply. Not only that, but you'll be demonized, you'll be ostracized, you'll be outcast in a real way. Oh my, you know, it's it's funny, and I don't always go for the biblical aspects of this, but it does seem to me like if you don't accept the mark of the beast, you will not be able to trade. You will not be able to, uh, you know, participate in the society, uh, in quotes. And that, I think, is the thing that people are not imagining will happen. But how do you not imagine it, considering the fact that we already see that people are being denied access to things which are essential. I mean, listen, if you live in a city in the United States, you can't not go to a grocery store. It's impossible. So guess what? If there is a, a thing you have to have, your temperature can't be too high. And, yet, you know, pretty soon, since we'll already have a biometric signature for everybody, we'll know whether you're one of the ones that's been cleared by having the vaccine or not. Um, you know, whether they make you carry a medical card or they figure out a way to digitally fingerprint you, uh, figuratively speaking, because the fingerprint is actually not quite as accurate as biometric, uh, 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 you know, uh, identification. Um, thing is, we're coming to a point where this is being rolled out, too, and I don't think anybody's really talking about that. I mean, with the exception of a, a very few of us. <laughs> James, but uh, we're, we're the crazy conspiracy theorists who, uh, you know, even though we told you that the eugenicist movement, you know, like I didn't say it started in the United States, but it came from the United States and went to the Third Reich. Uh, now an acceptable kind of, uh, you know, oh, yeah, sure, that's true, but we're not we're going to pay no attention about what we said before. I mean, it makes me feel very much like the time that I used to say that if John F. Kennedy wasn't killed in 1963, the Vietnam War would not have been prosecuted as it was. In fact, it probably wouldn't have happened after 1964, but... That was madness up until a couple of years ago. Oh, and hey, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which was literally like a false flag kind of circumstance, and is even admittedly that way. Hey, you know what? That was just the realm of conspiracy theorists, too. It's funny to see what you were saying kind of come out, and still you belong in the uh, conspiracy theorist trash bin, you know? So... I got to say, as I'm seeing this happen in real time, once again, there is no way that I don't see the system or the establishment going toward this literal kind of depersonhood that will occur. And this is just one virus, one example. If you make this universal, what's the next step? Well, hey, look, there's a new kind of, oh, I don't know, airborne cancer. Let's make something up. If you don't have the right shot, if you don't have the right medical check box in your digital records, maybe you won't be able to conduct business. Maybe you won't be able to oh, mingle with other people. You shall go live on the edge of the city and have none of the grid. What do you think of that? 
Well, I obviously agree with the general tenor of what you're saying, but let me disagree specifically on one point. I think we have, are moving past the point of denigration of people who are pointing out the Great Reset and what we are stepping into as conspiracy theorists. I think we've already okay. moved past that point. It's something that I have pointed out many, many times over the years, and I still marvel at the phenomenon, but it is true that uh, for, for years and years and years, decades, they can take a certain field of research or a certain idea and call it crazy conspiracy theory. You're an absolute... You're, you're totally insane if you even contemplate the idea. Uh, it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. And then there is an official admission that that thing is happening or that is true. And on a dime, everyone who is a defender of the establishment status quo will say, well, of course it's happening. It's a good thing. It, it, it should be happening. I'm glad it's happening. And I think that is actually the point that we're arriving at with regards to this great reset, new, new, new normal or whatever they're calling it this week. Um, because, oh, for example, I'll, I'll point to Melbourne and what's happening right there, um, where uh, obviously uh, just un, unimaginable, incredible police state uh, powers are being flexed right now in the name of this deadly killer wave that has killed hundreds of people throughout Australia over the last several months. Hundreds, I tell you. Oh, mm -hmm. my God. Uh, you better lock yourself away. Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, not only are people seeing this and obviously experiencing it, but unfortunately, a lot of people are all on board with it. They are actively embracing with it and and actually becoming the uh, the, the the thought police, essentially, and snitching on their neighbors. And, uh, you know, they, they deserve to get their door beaten down and thrown into a jail cell because they dared to have people over for a birthday party. It's a story I saw recently that just absolutely blew me away. To It's one of those moments where, you know, this type of thing is happening. But just to see a specific instance of it, there was... Um, some people, some thought criminals, mm. I believe it was in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago, who who dared to violate the then actually lesser restrictions on uh, gatherings. But uh, there were still restrictions in place on parties, uh, crowds of more than 10 people or something like that. And uh, there were some thought criminals that decided to have a birthday party for their children. And uh, they were inviting other people around to their home and having a, a bunch of people in their home, obviously against the rules. Uh, they made the mistake, well, a double mistake, really, of going to KFC for their party food and uh, attempted to be inconspicuous as a couple of different people went in and ordered whatever it was, you know, two, three, four buckets or whatever it was, a lot of chicken. Right. And. Uh, there were some medical workers. I, I don't know if they were ambulance uh, paramedics or w whatever, but there were some sort of medical workers who were there at the KFC that saw this suspicious purchase and reported it to the police. The police came, followed those people to their home, raided the home, found people uh, that were literally hiding under beds, hiding in the garden shed, whatever, trying to you know uh, hide from the police. They got caught. They got charged $24,000 for the effrontery of holding a birthday party for their children in their own home wow. and the response the overwhelming response on social media was good i'm glad you got them those vile people trying to spread this deadly disease that is what we're dealing with it's far beyond you're a conspiracy theorist if you think there's a police state it's no we need a police state for this and that's the, the i think the next stage of what we're going to have to confront with this is to take head on the fact that uh, unfortunately it's it is like the matrix all of these agent smiths are activating and you, these people that you thought were just uh, regular people going around their business no they are the ones that are going to enforce the they're going to be the enforcers for this police state that's coming into view and that's the really scary part of this which is why i think what is happening right now 
doesn't actually change my calculus about the, the real solutions going forward from here one bit. If anything, it magnifies those solutions a thousand times because you're exactly right. With these restrictions that are coming in place, the restrictions against travel and ultimately restrictions against transactions and gathering in crowds and all sorts of things that are going to happen unless, you know, you're, you're vaccinated, you're up to date, you have your COVID pass, whatever else, uh, that those restrictions are coming in place. So the solution, the only solution that will actually get us through this is the creation of gray and black markets, the, the, the places outside of the purview of the state where we can transact with other like-minded people. There will be outlaws that will live on the edges of society to the extent that they will be allowed to even do that. And if we we really should have been carving out the space for that uh, uh, 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago, yesterday. But hey, if you didn't start yesterday, you might as well start today because it is going to get that much harder from here on out. We need those spaces for thought criminals to be able to transact and, and eke out some sort of living apart from the system that, as you say, it is... I, I don't care what your religious beliefs are or aren't. This is the mark of the beast idea where if you if you do, if you don't have the COVID pass or whatever it is, you will not be able to transact at a certain point. And we have to carve out the space to uh, transact outside of the system before those gates are shut. See, and th- th- this is why, again, <clears throat> now usually I don't bring up sort of greasy subjects with you, but let, let, let's do it. Um <clears throat> I, I, I do take a little bit of flack because I explain that a lot of things that people think of as organized crime are not necessarily organized crime. Uh, they are just working outside of the system in a way, and it is a template for how to do certain things. I'm not saying that every organized criminal organization you know, is a great thing. But there are people that do function outside of the system, (laughs) okay, while, you know, kind of grabbing a handle on the system because, you know, you still use money or whatever. Uh, And and the things that have changed over the years um, are, are really just the crimes that they are organizing. That's the facts, okay? Um and and look, I'm not saying that we should have a Wild West situation and there should be, uh, you know, aggression for the sake of aggression or anything like that. I don't believe in violent crime, you understand. But transactional situations that are outside of the system are necessary. In fact, the system depends upon them usually in one way or another. Um, and, and some people don't understand what I'm saying when I make a statement like that. You just pointed out that there is going to be a need for things which are way outside of the system here. The the black markets and gray markets are going to be the way to go, and you're right. Now, there are infrastructures for this, uh, some of them a little more seedy than others, but I think think you're absolutely right. There's going to have to be a way to uh, transact business outside of the equation unless uh, everybody really falls in line and... Again, with the bipolar nature of of, of the American mindset, okay, James, uh, I, I got to say that I, I, I see it coming. I already see it coming. I mean, if you think about the fact that people were out in the streets willing to confront the police, and really, although they broadcast all around the world that we were engulfed in violence here in the U.S., that was not true. The only time violence usually occurred is when the amped up police showed up to start the fight. Okay, um, that's the reality in most places. Guess what? Um, 
it's really fascinating that people were terrified to leave their homes but were willing to go on the street and protest. It's really interesting to watch the seemingly incongruous thought processes in the United States. And what's funny is that might be the thing that saves us. is the idea that there are going to be people that are going to, regardless of what the general fear is, they're going to find a workaround, regardless of all that. Now, this is going to be a, a hard thing to deal with as far as the, uh, you know, in, in quotes, a legitimate economy was, because a lot of that being destroyed is in and of itself going to cause the rise of black and gray markets for everything. That's going to happen because there's going to be people that have needs and there's going to be a lot of loss of facilities in order to gain said needs. And there's going to become an economy where there's trade for it. I mean, it's going to happen. So I don't know. It's it's a remarkable time. And the only thing I can say definitively about it is that we are entering a time where we have no template that I'm able to read about that tells me where this is all actually going. And uh, the, the, again, seemingly incoherent statements from the establishment, the seemingly incoherent, you know, pushbacks against the establishment, I think are the, the vanguard of the events that are about to really change things. I think we're going to see a lot of change really soon. And I don't know. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it going to improve the circumstances from the outliers point of view is it going to actually release people from some of the bondage the thought prisons they were in you know my argument about the matrix by the way always has been nobody leaves as a matter of fact the people that thought they went into the real world they just got to go into a separate part of the matrix because they didn't want to stay in the stable portion but yeah exactly Anyway, in um, fact, I always thought that that should have been the third movie. (laughs) It should have been you discover that Neo only believes that he has escaped the Matrix. But that's actually just another level of the Matrix. That that's the real ending. Anyway, that's the ending in my head. Right. Um, But I have I have some bad news and some good news for your listeners. Let's let's go get the bad news out of the way first. Sure. If you think you are going to live the kind of comfortable life where you're going to live a comfortable, respectable existence uh, in opposition to this biosecurity paradigm that's coming in to view well i have to spoil that illusion you are not if you are uncomfortable even contemplating the idea of black or gray markets or transacting outside of the system then uh then you've already lost Uh, because if you're not going to uh, become a thought criminal then you are not going to win this game you are going to become a victim of what is happening right now but i have some good news which is that there are templates that do exist, obviously not mm. specifically about the situation that we find ourselves in, but about the general ideas that we're talking about. And it, I, I think it is a psyop that's been perpetrated on our Internet culture, especially with the 10 second attention span or is that 2.5 seconds these days mm. um, that we have been taught that if. If something was not produced in the past 24 hours about events that took place at least within the last few days, then it's ancient history and has no bearing on what we're thinking about. And that that really is a psyop that I've seen uh, taken over a lot of people's minds, even people who believe themselves to have woken up or whatever you want to call it. Um, And that's much to our detriment because there is relevant information out there in sometimes very surprisingly old places. And I just did a uh, interview a a few weeks ago, I hope people will check out, about a 500-year-old book 
um, called The Politics of Obedience, A Discourse on Voluntary Servitude by Etienne de la Boetie, who is a 15, sorry, 16th century French thinker, philosopher, uh, who wrote about, essentially, tyranny and how to defeat it. And uh, some very, very timeless wisdom in there that essentially boils down to uh, the idea that tyrants are only capable of functioning as tyrants because they do have the compliance of the people. Mm. If people do not comply with the dictates of the tyrant, there's no way that the tyrant and his small band of enforcers can enforce their will on everyone. So it is, uh, again, it sounds so stupidly simple, but it is nonetheless true that compliance with the tyrants is what gives them their power. Non-compliance is our power, and we have to start flexing that muscle. It may We may do it in what seem like inconsequential ways right now, even so much as walking into a store that supposedly requires masks without a mask and seeing, hey, wait, actually no one stopped me, no one even talked to me. Well, you know, I can do this. And that might be the, the flexing of the muscle that will help it to grow a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, but if we want specifically some, some ideas for, for putting this framework of how to productively resist and not comply, because I think it has to be a conscious thing that we consciously direct ourselves to, there is a template for that too. And I wrote about that in an article recently I want your uh, listeners to read. It's called Rejoice, the Agora is Growing. Right. It's up on the front page of CorbettReport.com right now uh, as we speak at any rate. And uh, in that I talk about the uh, well, now it's almost half a century old wisdom of Samuel E. Konkin III, who was a Canadian expat emigrate to the United States, who was writing about uh, anarchism in the 1970s, 80s. And he wrote something called An Agorist Primer or An Agorist Primer, depending on your pronunciation, uh, where he talked about counter-economics and essentially uh, the, the definition, for people who don't know, all non-coercive human action committed in defiance of the state constitutes the counter economy. So this isn't talking about economics like owning stocks or, you know, buying something in the store. This is about every action that you take, whether it is in compliance or against the dictates of the state. If it is against, it is counter economic activity. So, so much as walking into a, uh, a store in defiance of local ordinances without a mask is counter economics or visiting a friend during a lockdown in defiance of the state mandated orders against doing such, such a thing. That is counter economic activity. And, uh, and Konkin explains what counter economics is and how we can productively use this to, uh, uh, eventually defeat the state but it is important what words we actually use here because it's not like this is some sort of revolution people marching with pitchforks on washington or something like that no this is this is really about supplanting the state creating the space for this economic and and transactional and interactional activity outside of the purview of the state that makes the state irrelevant and ultimately wither away hey it's a hey, maybe it's a marxist idea the state will wither away well mm -hmm. at any rate it will wither away if we create the counter economic space so that we can accru uh, eventually reach the agora which is just the fancy old greek term for the 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 marketplace the public square the place uh, for public participation um, that is that that is not a, a government space. It's not a government carved out space, and that that is the the template that we can use going forward from here. But it has to be consciously directed activity. If uh, if it's just haphazard non-compliance here and there, then of course 
the powers that shouldn't be, assuming they have two brain cells to rub together, will be able to create uh, easy on-ramps for their system. It'll be so much easier if you just take the, the COVID pass or whatever whatever we end up giving you and, oh, well, we'll, we'll even create a little digital dollars account that's tied to the Federal Reserve and we'll just pump your UBI in there every month. And as long as you get your vaccines and do whatever we say, then you can get your your monthly stipend and you'll you'll live happily as the robots take over the economy in the fourth industrial revolution during the Great Reset. Don't worry about it. Just go back to sleep, everyone. And if this is not consciously directed resistance to that agenda, then that is what will happen. And most people will go along with it. So we need to be growing the consciousness of counter-economic activity as a strategy for achieving the Agora. And again, if those terms are and do you please go and read my article on this where I provide the links and you can go and start and read, again, age-old wisdom, 500-year-old books or even 30- or 40-year-old books that, that have already discussed this and laid the groundwork for it so that our job is that much easier. No, it sounds good. I got to tell you, uh, it, it is amazing to me because when people contemplate the idea, I, I laughed there briefly when you when you said, you know, when the uh, robots take over and all that. But in all seriousness, with the with, with the growth of artificial intelligence and then handing over these equations that are dreamt up by like, you know, Dr. Emanuel over there, uh, you know, over to A.I., where there is no uh, ethos connected to the digital representation of the brain, right? Um, wow. <laughs> you know, we, we, we have a, a perfect formula for all kinds of disaster. And, uh, gee, it would be interesting to see exactly what the post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, dystopia turns into because... People ask for it. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, that's what the interesting thing is here, is that compliance and request is the thing that, that is most frightening about all of this. The idea that, you know, people that might have been uh, disposed to argue against Big Pharma and its prevalence over, uh, you know, how it prevails over the, the, the well-being of of so many people in this country for sure, but definitely in 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 most of you know uh, uh, what industrialized civilization or whatever it is they're calling it today. Um, the fact that you have that going on, the fact that in the place where they say we have access to the greatest things in the world, we also have one of the sickest populations on the planet who is afraid because they know very well they could easily be destroyed by something that if it is as advertised could be the thing that you know kills them well the threat of death is an awfully interesting motivator for just getting some compliance and the other thing is like you said make it easy here you go it makes it easier on you to do it this way i i i got to say it's 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 remarkable, and I'll give you guys the links to uh, to all of what James was talking about his articles, uh, especially the one that's on the front page of CorbettReport.com right now. Um, but as we come toward the end of this hour, which again I'm amazed how fast the hour flew by, James. Um, <laughs> here here we go. Sometimes my hours seem long, but not when I'm speaking to somebody who's got something to say. Um, it is uh, it's amazing to me to see what's what's you know coming next. And I still feel as though we don't have a good handle on exactly how this is going to go. We know how badly it could go, but I'm wondering about some of the, uh, you know, the 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 uh, sort of unknown elements that might come into play here. Uh, some of the previously unseen 
desires for people's individuality to prevail over the uh, you know demands of the state and everything else. Um, I, I wonder how it's going to play out because again, the danger of the technocracy getting to uh, take over in the face of what's happening now is that, uh, gee, you know, a whole lot of us just aren't going to make it because we're not going to be, what, economically viable. Uh, and and, and it, it leaves me speechless to see people basically, you know, looking for a savior who is doing nothing but slaughtering them. I mean, very much. I saw a cartoon some years ago about, uh, you know, cows making a choice to go into one section of a, uh, a, a fence or another, and they both lead to the slaughterhouse. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's like this yeah. is what I see with a lot of the arguments, a lot of the wasted yeah. effort. Before we're all yes. done, though, um, and, and before I give you the final word, I wonder if you have any views on uh, what happened recently in Lebanon because – I think we're looking at the beginning of a very strange situation there. Um, I, I, I know, you know, what, what do we got? 27,000 tons of, uh, you know, the, the same stuff that uh, destroyed half of the Murrow building, um, allegedly. Uh, well, allegedly, yeah. You know, just saying. Uh, you know, making a big boom, as a lot of people were saying to me privately, big boom. I said, yeah, okay, fifth element. But um, what... What are your thoughts on that, or do you have any yet? Because for me, I, I think it's an emergent story that's going to twist into something else, and um, it's not going to have anything to do with COVID. I, 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 no, I, I feel no. like, you know, hey, it might be time to wag the dog because we do have a selection process coming up that may be challenged by COVID also, but hey, pay no attention to that. Um, mm. or, or do if you want to watch the MSM because that's all they want to talk about as I monitor them. Mm. Um but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, I have at this point, I have no inside information or anything uh, about the Beirut blast or what that was, what was really going on there. As I'm sure you've seen, the official explanation so far has to do with this 24,000 pounds or whatever it was of ammonium nitrate that had been seized six years ago and was just being stored there at the port. And lo and behold, a fireworks uh, f uh, factory fire set it off or something along those lines. I, I, I agree. I think there's probably more to that story and we will discover it in time. And uh, I think we haven't seen the end of that, that story, but I don't have anything to add to it at this moment. But I do want to pick up on what you were saying earlier about essentially about the consciousness of the people being directed towards embracing what is happening now and how that plays out in the future. I think that is the emphasis that we need to put on this because, of course, we don't know what is coming. Um, and uh, there could be all sorts of things coming. Who knows where, you know, what that blast in Beirut might lead to or what kind of war scenarios one could imagine playing out or or uh, completely something out of left field that no one is expecting. Some, you know, who knows, the, the fourth industrial revolution happens overnight, the singularity, the fake alien invasion, whatever they have up their sleeves. This has been a crazy enough year already, but right. uh, don't think that it couldn't be amplified a thousand times. But... It is right to put the emphasis on the consciousness of the people because at least in this moment, 
it still matters what people think and how they direct their time, attention, and energy. That still matters. That is why the propaganda has been scaled up to uh, 11 out of a scale of 10. That's why it is so important that they are trying to control and influence our thoughts, our actions, behaviors. It's because they do matter, at least now, at least until the, the robot army takes over and we're, we're slaves to the machines or whatever whatever is coming in the not-so-distant future. Uh, we still have a chance to, to affect this. And I would go back to my December 2019 self and describe what has taken place in 2020. And obviously, I would have been surprised to hear all this. But the one thing that truly would have shocked me, I mean, I know about you know, Gates and others talking about the pandemic for years, I, I would have understood that that idea of a bioterror false flag. Heck, I had podcasts about that very subject over a decade ago. So obviously, yes, I, I'm known this is in the cards. The one thing that would have surprised me is how quickly, how many people have gone along with this and swallowed it hook, line and sinker, not a second thought, including a lot of people in the independent, supposedly independent media space, mm -hmm. who you would think would have at least a little bit of skepticism for the literal, the same governments that told you about WMD and every all these other lies. You would think there would be some skepticism there, but there has been remarkably little of it. That has been the great letdown. And uh, again, the sign that the real deciding factor is here is what people think. Now, the positive side of that is that I have directly seen in interactions uh, with people with my own work over the past several months, a lot of people are either A, tuning into this for the first time because they suddenly realize something is going on, right. or a lot of people who have kind of listened to me and they they know something's going on, but I'm just going to go live my life. You know, I just, I, I can't deal with this. A lot of those people have come to me in the last few months and gone, wow, I, I you know, I, I see how serious this is and now I'm going to devote myself to it. So uh, this is having that effect of polarizing people into the awake, if you want to use that term, and asleep, if you want to use that term. At a, well, however you define that, at any rate, there are a lot of people who are energized by this and it's a race. It is a race right now. Can we at least get a majority of the population at least questioning authority and then starting to think about how to defy and uh, non-comply with the agenda? And on that note, I just want to put a quick plug in. This Saturday, August 8th, is the next Expose Bill Gates Day, which uh, Derek Bros of ConsciousResistance.com, it was his idea, but uh, it's a decentralized idea. It's a hashtag. It's whatever you want it to be. However you want to manifest that in the world, handing out you know flyers or, or copies of DVDs of my Bill Gates documentary or whatever it is, just anything you can do to get the word out about this agenda. And I think this is the kind of demonstration of that act of noncompliance, of thought criminal criminality, uh, manifesting that in reality, in the real world, and trying to get other people uh, at least aware of that. That is, again, the flexing of that muscle that we have to start really training right now the muscle of non-compliance because that is going to be the game for all the marbles going on uh, from here out right and you know the the thing for me is that we we need to it is at exactly this time uh those of us that were interested in getting across many ideas that we found disturbing many things that seem to be hidden in plain sight actually um <clears throat> you know this is exactly the time not to sit back and assume that people see this. I think this is exactly the time to uh, to make a noise as big as you can and uh, 
do what it is you can to provoke thought among people who maybe would have had no opportunity to uh, to even be presented with an alternative uh, to what it is the powers that shouldn't be, as you said, uh, are, are, are putting out there. We have to give them a, a at least the questions, at least the idea that this should be questioned. Um, and and I, I, I feel obligated to do so. And I, I figure that you do too, which is why you do what you do at CorbettReport.com. And uh, again, uh, I, I advise you guys to get over there. If you haven't been there lately, go there again. And uh, if you have been there lately, dig back in the archives. Interesting stuff. If you go back, if you're up to date with James's work, go back. Um, I have been listening for a long time, long before I started doing this show. And uh, I appreciate your work, James. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Thank you for doing what you do to spread the word. Absolutely, guys. So that's that. James Corbett finished out the second hour with me. This all flew by. So I appreciate you guys for listening. I appreciate you, James, for doing this with me. I appreciate Dr. Rock, who was on with me in the first hour. Got to tell you guys, no matter who you are, where you are, not only do I hope you're well and thinking, but uh, I want you to know that I am merely Ocelli and all of you are indeed the effect. Good night.